week of Advent. There we go. Good morning. So glad to be with you today. Well, you know, one of the things that I love about the Christmas season in the life of our church family is the way that we get to be generous together. It's a long-held tradition for us that what we do at the Christmas season is we have a very special Christmas offering in which we seek to love others generously in the name of Jesus. And this year, I'm very excited. Our missions team has met and prayed together, and we've selected two recipients, one local and one global. 50% of our Christmas offering this year will go to Children of Promise. This is the child sponsorship ministry of the Church of God. They serve more than 4,500 children uh, across 35 programs in 30 different countries. Now, one of those programs we have a specific connection with, we support uh, missionaries Bobby and Jenny Meisel. If you remember, Jenny was with us not long ago, one of our outdoor services that summer in the parking lot. Uh, They serve on Africa's Africa's Ivory Coast, uh, and uh, they Uh, run one of those Children of Promise centers there. That's one of of many that are around the world. Now, we'll talk more about Children of Promise in the days to come. In fact, next week, I'm especially excited. We'll have a special guest. Kyle Hayes from the Children of Promise staff will be joining me on the platform. uh, And you'll learn more about Children of Promise next week. I'm really looking forward to that. The other half of our Christmas offering will go to kids' camps at his place. Uh, We're seeking to reach and build relationships with more and more families right here in our local community. And so we're growing our kids' camp opportunities. We've long offered summer kids' camps. And we're going to continue to do that in growing ways, adding more camps during the summer, but we will also be offering some camps during the year. In fact, you may have heard that in just a few weeks, we'll be offering a Christmas camp, a one-day camp for kids. I told Steve uh, Karp, our director of his place, you are going to be the hero in Alma uh, to have an activity day for kids in between Christmas and New Year's. Um, I'm excited about the way that Steve is helping us think about the rhythm of the school year and times when we can connect with kids and their families in growing ways. So we'll have more and more camps throughout the year. We're committed to offering those camps for free. And so part of this Christmas offering will scholarship those kids. This is our strategic outreach to reach kids all throughout our community in the name of Jesus. Now, you can give to this Christmas offering anytime during this Christmas season. Simply mark your giving envelope Christmas offering, and we'll make sure it goes in the right place. You can mail a check to the church, of course. You can also give online, and you'll find a drop-down menu there. Just select Christmas offering or text to give, and you'll be able to do the same that way. I'm so excited about our Christmas offering that's focused on the next generation, on investing in kids right here and around the world. And I'm so glad that we get to do this together. Well, on this second week of Advent, we're going to continue our Advent series called Encounter Peace. And today, I'd like for us to talk about what it looks like for us to encounter peace in our relationships. And this is an important subject for us uh, because here's what I know to be true. Relationships with other humans are messy, (laughs) especially at the holidays. Have you noticed that? (laughs) 
You know, you find those moments when you're gathering with extended family members or, um, you know, you find yourself sitting around the, the table together and, and just wishing that the conversation would just avoid those hot topics of politics and pandemics and, and other things that get awkward and heated right away. Or you sit at the table and, and you notice that, that, you, that Aunt Gertrude and Aunt Iva just keep glaring at each other because they just can never seem to get along. Or you think about Cousin George, who you thought was actually going to make it this year, but then he just can't seem to get his act together, and at the last minute, he ditched again with a lame excuse. See, we have these complicated family dynamics, and you might think that the people next to you or the people down the pew don't have to deal with what you do, but let me tell you, <laughs> we all have those kinds of families. We all have challenges with families or coworkers or neighbors, things that come to the surface and can feel extra messy during the holidays. Instead of Christmas cheer, we find ourselves sometimes with Christmas dread. We think about those kinds of moments, those awkward living room moments that we might have and, and the relationships that are present in the room. And then we imagine, you know, our eyes glance over uh, to the shelf and we see that beautiful nativity scene there. Oh, so peaceful, so beautiful. All is calm. All is well. And we think to ourselves, why can't it just be like that? Oh, to have some heavenly peace in this house. But let me ask, was it really that first Christmas? Could it be that we've polished away the rough edges of that first Christmas story? Could it be that, that we've grown far too accustomed to telling the story in a way that leads out, leaves out the scandal and the strife that was built into that story? Perhaps today we ought to remind ourselves how messy Things were that first Christmas. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 1, our text today, as we see how it all unfolded. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Let's pause here for a moment. These two teenage kids pledged to be married, it says. If you've studied the culture at all, you know that it was a different kind of situation than in our culture here today. But this pledge to be married was a binding agreement. By law, they were actually considered husband and wife, even though they were still uh, living separately. And it says that Mary was found to be pregnant Hmm, it's an interesting turn of phrase. Not Mary informed him, but Mary was found to be pregnant. Sounds to me like perhaps others knew of Mary's situation and informed Joseph. This is not good. This is scandal. This will get people talking for sure. This is not good for Mary or for Joseph. My late father-in-law, Otis Wilson, taught for many years at Northwood University over in Midland. He was an incredible man, a beloved professor, and he was especially memorable to his students 
uh, for all of his sage advice. You know people like that who have those phrases, that those go-to phrases or memorable things that they like to say? One of his favorite sayings that he liked to drill into his students was this. Meet, greet, learn, marry, reproduce. In that order, don't mix it up. Well, it seemed that Mary and Joseph had indeed mixed it up. Not only was this a disgrace, but this was also something that was a grave danger to Mary. Jewish, uh, Jewish law required capital punishment for an offense like this. Now, by the time that Matthew was writing this and the time that they were living, the truth was uh, it had been mitigated by a lot of the rabbinic practice but the penalty was still severe and humiliating. So what is Joseph to do? Well, as we go on, we see the text says that Joseph considered the situation. Scholar Kenneth Bailey says that more than just pondering, that Greek word that we translate considered could also be translated, Joseph became angry. Wouldn't that be the natural reaction of anyone? Of course, Joseph is a human. So, of course, he must have been disappointed and angry and upset by this news. His fiance is pregnant. This is a betrayal. This is not how the story is supposed to go. So what is Joseph going to do about it? Well, clearly, Joseph is a generous guy. Let's continue to read at verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. See, Joseph wants to do what is right in this situation. The response that Joseph has is not simply some emotional response or reaction that he has. No, if we look at what the text is saying, Joseph was faithful to the law. That meant that following God mattered to Joseph. He was a follower of, of God. And in this situation, the law prescribed what was to be done in a situation like this. And divorce was his only option. And yet, even as we read this verse, we see that Joseph desires to be as merciful as he can about the situation. Faithful to the law, this, this phrase that we find here to describe Joseph, in other translations it uses the word just to describe Joseph. We often think of a just person as someone who obeys the law, someone who applies rules fairly to all. But there is another way that the scriptures, that the Old Testament talks about justice. Justice, especially as it's portrayed in the, um, in the servant songs of Isaiah, requires compassionate concern for the weak and the downtrodden and the outcast in their need. So think about it. In this way, what Joseph is doing in this situation is he's seeking to follow the law while extending some compassion at the same time. And surely this is the most that he can do within the boundaries of the law. But to follow God for Joseph, it means the decision has been made. Mary cannot be his wife. But then another unexpected thing 
happens. Verse 20 and 21. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph receives this word straight from heaven. We can imagine how startling this must be. After all, this is a spectacular story, even difficult to to believe. Now, Now think about something here with me. Joseph had made up his mind that he was going to divorce Mary quietly because that was the most generous response that Joseph could have while still following the prescribed law. But now, the God who Joseph seeks to follow gives him a different direction. Take Mary as your wife. Take this baby as your own. And and take on the fatherly task of naming this child. What is God asking of Joseph? Think about it. This means that to obey God, Joseph cannot now follow the letter of the law. But you see, this is the coming of Jesus, God's own son. And years later, Jesus would become a great teacher, and Jesus would have something to say about following the law. In fact, this was a frequent subject for Jesus. When we're in the book of Matthew and we flip over just a couple of pages and turn to the Sermon on the Mount, which we studied together this past This past fall, as we looked at that together in the Sermon on the Mount, we found this very common pattern in the teaching of Jesus. It sounded like this. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Here's one of those examples in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. See, here's the thing when we study the story of Joseph. And here's the thing when we look at Jesus. See, God is not so interested in us following the letter of the law as if it checks some behavior box for us, and then we can wash our hands of the matter. See, if, if we're focused on only following the rules, then we often process things based on what's required of us. When we're only focused on following the rules, then in the back of our minds is this idea, what's the least that I have to do here? What's the minimum that's required of me? But you see, Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. Jesus came, as he said, to fulfill the law and to offer a higher law of love. When love is the standard, it requires much more of us. Make no mistakes. Following Jesus is much more difficult than following rules. (laughs) Following Jesus is much more difficult than following rules. Jesus invites us to a, a life of love, And love asks, what's the loving thing to do? 
I wonder, could it be that even as Jesus entered the world so humbly, so unexpectedly, even his entry into the world was an invitation first to Joseph, his earthly father, to this kind of new way of living. Joseph was being invited by heaven to this kingdom reality of love. And that meant for Joseph not following the letter of the law, but rather the heart of the law. And this path for Joseph would be much more difficult and much more costly for him personally. Joseph, as we find this man of courage and faith, accepted this invitation from heaven. Verse 22 says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Did you catch that, that Joseph gave this baby the name Jesus? Joseph doesn't always get a lot of attention in this story, but let's not miss this, that Joseph calls Jesus his own, and he adopts him into his family line, the line of David, the line of David that Matthew begins his gospel uh, telling us all about because Jesus belongs to Joseph. And Joseph names this baby and he speaks heaven's word over his son, Jesus, which means Yahweh helps, affirming his identity and the mission that God had for him. I wonder, do you think it's possible that, that this story of Jesus points us to the way that God loves to show up in the middle of a story where things seem all mixed up and do something beautiful? I wonder, after Jesus was born, do you think that people looked a little funny at this family? Do you think they still thought some things about Mary and how she got things mixed up? Do you think there was perhaps some public stigma that remained some hard days ahead? I think that was probably the case. I don't think it suddenly got easy for them. Jesus showed up in the middle of the mess. And this Christmas, we're talking about what it means to encounter peace. So often when we talk about peace, we, we might think of the absence of turmoil. Peace is when there's no conflict, no war, no strife, no struggle. Peace is the picture of everything as it should be, calm and at rest. But the truth is, when we study the concept of peace in the scripture, we discover it's so much more than that. Peace isn't so much about the absence of turmoil. Peace is about the presence of God. We talked about this last week, the, the active, working presence of God. The Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, has a word for peace, shalom. Shalom means well-being, wholeness harmony, abundance, peace. Think about that. 
Maybe there are some difficult relationships in your life this Christmas. Perhaps there are some things you're trying to navigate in ways that you're longing for peace. And I know that, that the truth is that peace may not be the first thing that comes to mind when we think about our circumstances. But my prayer for us this Advent is that peace will be the first thing that comes to mind when we think about our God. He is the Prince of Peace. Jesus loves to show up right in the middle of a mess. Because this same Jesus, the one we call Emmanuel, God with us, he's present with us, friends. He's here. He is our Prince of Peace. Not because things are all easy and uncomplicated, but because his presence makes all the difference. You know, when, when Joseph received this word from heaven to take Mary as his wife, now, this is my assumption, it's not written in the text this way, but, but I believe that God gave Joseph peace about that decision. Peace. Sense, this sense that, that God was directing it, that God was, just as the scripture says, making the path straight. He was directing the paths of Joseph and Mary in all of this. Not peace because it was easy. It was incredibly difficult for them but peace because of who God is. And I think that's a great picture for us this Christmas of what peace looks like. You know, Joseph was planning to do what he thought was generous by quietly divorcing Mary. But God asked of him something far more costly, to love sacrificially, love that required faith and generosity. You know, I wonder for us, as we think about our lives and the challenges that we might be facing, I don't know what, kind of, um, what kinds of things could be messy in your relationships this Christmas season, but here's what I know. We, too, have been invited by heaven to love, to love when it costs us something, when it's anything but easy to choose love first and foremost. This Advent, we're invited to encounter peace, not as a feeling, but as a person, the Prince of Peace, whose presence changes everything. This Prince of Peace, who specializes in showing up in the messiest of moments. And there's nothing that I would want more for you this Christmas season than to encounter this Jesus and experience his peace and his provision in your life. Today, as we close our service, we're invited to the table of Jesus. We think about the way that, that Jesus took these very common elements as a reminder for us, so that every time we, we have these common elements, we would remember who he is, and we would remember the way that he loves us, the way this Prince of Peace came to dwell and be with us. Today, we're going to remember just as Jesus invites us to do. The scripture says that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. 
Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. In just a moment, we'll have a beautiful song of reflection and worship as we prepare our hearts to partake. While we do that, we'll have some communion servers who will come and wait upon us and we'll pass uh, these uh, plates of elements uh, down the rows. As you reach in to take the elements, be sure to notice there are two cups stacked together. Be sure to pick up both of them. In the top cup, you'll find the juice, and in the bottom cup, you'll find a small wafer to partake. And if you would, hold those elements as you sit. And in a few moments, I'll invite us to all partake together. We also want you to know that we practice open communion. And that means that all who choose to follow Jesus are invited to partake. Will you pray with me? Oh, our gracious God, as we pause in your presence and as we prepare our hearts to take communion today, We pray, God, that we might encounter you, our Prince of Peace. We thank you, God, for the way that you love us. We love you, Lord. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. Jesus said, this is my blood shed for you. Take and drink. Let's pray together. Oh, our gracious God. Lord, our hearts are so humble before you. Lord, we're just so in awe of the way that you love us. We're so in awe of the way that you move towards us. Lord, I pray for each of us this Christmas season, even in the midst of the bustle and stress and to-dos. God, I pray that we would encounter you afresh and anew, that we would encounter your peace. Lord, I pray for each of us, God that you would be the most powerful part of our stories this Advent season. Lord, you know our hearts today, and as we come before you, you know the way is that we are crying out for your peace, that we're asking for you, our Prince of Peace, to show up in the midst of our world that is so broken and weary, in the midst of our lives and our grief and our fear and our conflict and our stress and our sleepless nights. Oh, Lord, how we long for your peace. God, I pray that not only would you be the provision of peace in our lives, but Lord, I pray that others might encounter your peace by the way that we love. God, would you help us this Christmas? Would you give us courage? And would you help us live eyes wide open to see opportunities that are all around us, opportunities to choose to love generously in the name of Jesus, even when love costs us something? Help us, God. Lord, as we pause in your presence today, we borrow these words of St. Francis as we pray this prayer of peace. Lord, make us instruments of your peace. Where there is hatred, let us bring love. Where there is offense, 
let us bring pardon. Where there is discord, let us bring union. Where there is error, let us bring truth. Where there is doubt, let us bring faith. Where there is despair, let us bring hope. Where there is darkness, let us bring your light. Where there is sadness, let us bring joy. O Master, let us seek as not to be consoled, but as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in self-forgetting that we find, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are raised to eternal life. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.